Take your Bibles and uh, open up to Titus. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And um, we're continuing this a series of talks through our statement of faith. And uh, we only have a few more weeks on this, actually. And uh, this will take us through the end of this month. And uh, just as kind of a preview for you, those of you who already have decorated for Christmas, I'll give you the Christmas series so you can add to your joy and anticipation for uh, the season that happens after Thanksgiving. Okay? No, I'm not a super stickler on that, though I will tell you, in my home, the tree doesn't go up till after Thanksgiving. How many of you are, I'm just curious, this is totally random and besides the point, but I'm curious, because I like to get to know you. How many of you are... It doesn't matter, as soon as we hit October, November, my tree's going up, my lights are going up. How many of you are those people? Don't be shy. I know you exist. Okay. <laughs> a couple of you are raising the hands of people next to you. I know you're this person. And how many of you are like, all right, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, we're putting the tree up? Yeah, all right, okay. And how many of you are like, it doesn't matter to me, it'll go up when it goes up? <laughs> Okay, all right. Well, anyway, I'm excited about uh, what we're going to go through actually during the Christmas time. Um, we're going to actually approach Christmas, a series of messages called Perspectives on Christmas. And we're going to look specifically at uh, individual characters in Scripture that were uh, really important roles in that narrative. And so we're going to look at the person of Joseph, we're going to look at the, uh, the wise men, we're going to look at the person of Mary, and we're going to look at uh, the shepherds, and we're going to consider uh, what role they played, what uh, message they were brought in the midst of that, and maybe most importantly, what their response to that message was. And so I hope that you'll kind of be thinking about that. Invite some people to come along, even if it's just for that series of talks, uh, because it, uh, my prayer is that it'll be just a different approach and perspective on those uh, Christmas narratives that many of us would say, I know this story from my childhood, and we lose the living and active nature of that, that there's so much we miss. And so I'm, I'm really eager to uh, jump into that with you. Um, but... Today, we're going to be in Titus chapter 2, and uh, we're going to start right away, and I'm just going to read this text, and uh, we're going to trust God to clarify everything we need to know in regards to our uh, specific subject focus for today. So, we're going to actually start, Titus chapter 2 in verse 11 is where we're going to start, and we're going to sit in this passage today. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Everyone say all. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness 
and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let's pray this morning as we start. Heavenly Father, may you be uh, the focal point of our time this morning. Lord, may this be challenging and equipping to us in a way that we live it out beyond just hearing, beyond just saying, yes, this is what your word says. May this ingrain itself into the core foundation of who we are and who you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the main idea for today, out of this text specifically, is this. If we desire to become more like Jesus, then we cannot separate salvation and sanctification. If we desire to become more like Jesus, then we cannot separate salvation and sanctification. And I'm going to clarify all of this, so don't jump to a bunch of conclusions until we spend time in the text today specifically. But this is what I want you to walk away from here today with, this specific idea. So uh, after this point, if you just kind of hear a Charlie Brown adult voice for the rest of this time... Just remember this, okay? But there's a lot more to this that I want you to grasp too. And our statement of faith, just to clarify, I want to share that with you so you know kind of what the perspective here uh, and what drove me to this passage in Titus 2 uh, today uh, is this statement. It says, we believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. God commands us to love Him supremely and others sacrificially and to live out our faith with care for one another, compassion toward the poor, and justice for the oppressed. With God's Word, the Spirit's power, and fervent prayer in Christ's name, we are to combat the spiritual forces of evil in obedience to Christ's commission. We are to make disciples among all people, always bearing witness to the gospel in word and deed. Now again, as I've said in the past, there is a ton jam-packed into this statement. But we're going to sit in Titus 2. Because there's specifically two understandings that I'm going to give you today from this passage in Titus. That when if we take this and ingrain it into who we are, it transforms the very concept, the very idea of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, the first understanding in the midst of this is as follows. The grace of God through faith is available to all people. Now, I'm going to read that again. If there's a place in my entire message for an amen, this is it, okay? So I'm going to read this again, and you see it up here, but I want to hear a resounding amen after I finish this statement because this is at the foundation of what we believe. The grace of God through faith is available to all people. Amen. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That is what is life-giving about the gospel. In verse 11 of Titus 2, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for who? 
All people or all men, everyone, that is, there is no one around you. There is no one sitting right here today. There is no one outside of this place that does not have the same opportunity to have God's grace through Christ imparted to them. Think about that. Now, I don't know about you, but I am a stickler when it comes to, did someone deserve this? Did someone earn this? Is this something that should, how they should be treated based on how they responded? And for every single one of us sitting here, no matter where you have been, no matter where you've come from, no matter where you are, the answer to that question in light of God's grace through Christ is no. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve anything that God has given to me in Christ. It is something that is purely a gift. And yet, the hope of the gospel, the good news, everyone say good news. The hope of that is it doesn't matter who you are or where you've come from. God's grace has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Now, the reality here is... Most people stop here. When we come to a passage like Titus 2, most people stop after that little section. After verse 11, we go, woohoo! Amen! This is it! This is at the fabric of everything I needed to hear. We're good. We stop at this place where we understand that God and Christ has offered salvation to all who believe. But understand this, God's mission, God's focus and motivation for sending Christ doesn't just stop with Jesus. It doesn't end with Him. And in fact, we can see this in the fact that Jesus came... And he was here on earth and he did ministry and then he left. And we talked about this in relation to the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, it's better that I leave because then the helper will come to you. Why is that important? It's because in that perspective, church, Jesus himself is saying, the work is not ending with me. The work is not done because I am physically absent from this place. And he equips his disciples. He says the Spirit's going to come. And all who are in Christ have the Spirit and have differing gifts. And we talked about that last week with the church. That though we're unique and God has gifted us differently, it's one church united in Christ. And the mission continues. The mission continues. But many of us don't stop and ask the question, why did the Spirit need to come? Why did we need a helper? And here's the simple answer. It's because we still aren't like Jesus. We still aren't there. For the same reason that Jesus had to walk with his disciples and teach them and equip them and reveal to them what this is supposed to look like, is exactly the same reason that you and I need the help of the Spirit of God to do everything that's set before us. We are not 
yet like Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to do, and you're not to do this in a vindictive way, okay? But you're going to turn to your neighbor, and you're going to say, you are not yet like Jesus. Okay, now, now it's conviction time. Now you're all going to say, I am not yet like Jesus. Okay. Now, most of you, I hope all of you are quick to recognize that that's not an issue for me to admit, that I am not yet like Christ. But the question you have to ask is, is that a reason for me to stop trying to become more like him? Okay? Now, some people, and I love people who ask questions, and so a question that as I prep, I try to think through, what might be, someone would, what might be something someone would ask me if I'm sharing this with them? And a logical question that comes up would be, where does it tell us in the Bible that we're supposed to become more like Jesus? Okay? That is an important question that you as a church, if you are a follower of Christ, you should be able to answer this question. And I'm going to equip you with the verses and the the places you need to go to be able to answer that. Because this is in so many places in Scripture. I'm just going to give you, I'm going to rattle off like four or five passages here where it specifically states. Okay? So I'm going to give you the reference. You can jot it down. And I'm going to read the verse to you. 1 John chapter 2 verse 6. 1 John chapter 2 verse 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 1 John 2 verse 6. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 says, This is Paul talking and he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now those of you who are logical people, He's saying, be like Christ. I'm seeking, I'm seeking to be an imitator of Christ, so therefore, if you imitate me, you, you are seeking to imitate Christ, is what Paul is saying there. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. 1 Peter 2, verse 21, says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2, 21. The last one, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, says, Therefore, you ready for this challenge? Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, The resounding answer to the question, does it actually tell us in the Bible to be like Christ, is yes, it does, many times. Everyone say yes. Now, I want you to understand that from a biblical perspective, because as I say often, and I hope you recognize, my desire is not to tell you what I think. What I think is irrelevant when it comes to truth. But what God's Word says, we should take seriously. Okay? God's grace through faith available to all people. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't end with that. And here's where the second understanding from our passage in Titus 2 comes from. 
And that is that the grace of God, visible in Christ, trains us to be godly. The grace of God, visible in Christ, and we saw that in those little passages in between, where it identified, you be an imitator of Christ. So this is demonstrated, lived out in the person of Jesus. And from that, trains us to be godly. Look back at Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now, the word renounce literally means to say no. It means I'm going to say no to these things. God's grace revealed to us in Christ is training us to say no to the things that are not of God, to say no to the passions of the world. Now, from that, I'm a contrast type of person. If someone tells me, don't do this, I want to know, what should I do? Okay? And that's a great skill for you uh, parents that is really challenging and something my wife and I often fail at, but we are seeking to instill this in our parenting, is if you tell your kid not to do something, make sure you tell them what they should be doing. Okay? And the same should be true when we're meeting together and challenging each other with Scripture. We can say all day to people, hey, don't do that. Hey, stop sinning. Hey, cut it out. But are we actually bringing people to a place where they understand the other side? You see, those of us in Christ should be able to look at the person of Jesus and go, I know, I know what I should be aiming for. I know instead of this, I, I should be pursuing this. But someone who is either not a follower of Christ or is very young in their faith... We cannot expect them to know those same things. And it should take us recognizing and going, okay, if I'm supposed to be training, I'm in, I'm in training to say no to the things that are ungodly, to say no to these worldly passions, the contrast of that is I should be saying yes to godliness and yes to eternal desires. I should be saying yes to these things. Now, this is not an easy transition. Everyone say it's not easy. Okay, so it's time for my object illustration. And I can't tell you how many times I've had people ask me if this is just used as a doorstop. This is a kettlebell, okay? These are used for exercise. This one's 53 pounds. Okay? And you can do a lot of things with these. They're actually very, very neat to use. You can do what's called a, a goblet squat. You hold it here, and you come down, and you back up. Okay? You can do what's called a kettlebell swing. We call those, when I learned, halfway up, that's a Russian kettlebell swing. And then if you go all the way up, that's American. That's how I learned it. It's what my coach taught me when I was learning, okay? 
You could do a lot of things. You could do lunges with these, which are terrible. Okay? You could lunge. You could do those all day. And there's a lot more. Yeah, some of you are going, no, I don't think so. But why, why, why have something like that when you're trying to work out? It provides resistance. There's a tension that takes place, and as you work out with resistance, you build strength. Now, the reality is, if I had some of you come up here and do 50 squats with a kettlebell, you're going to hurt tomorrow. And when I started training, when I was in Oregon, my wife would make fun of me because I could not walk up and down the stairs. It hurt. It was painful. And it wasn't just difficult when I was training or seeking to do the actual exercise. It was painful and difficult after the fact. It was a challenge. And you know what? Over time, I hurt a little less and a little less long. And over time, I was able to do more and build up strength. And then if you stop doing it for a season, you try to come back and you hurt again. Okay? Now what I'm seeking to illustrate here is when we come to a passage of Scripture and it says the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, don't assume that this is going to be a painless training. Don't assume that when you put weight and seek to become someone different and do that consistently, that you're not going to have some pain and some ache. And there's a lot of people that have started seeking to work out, and about two months in, what do they do? I'm I'm done. But it doesn't usually happen like that. It's gradual, right? We, we, We start doing a little less. I started out strong. And I'm, I'm going every day, and uh, you know what? I'm tired today. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut it back. I'm just going to do five days. And, and eventually, before you know it, all of a sudden, it's like, wow, it's been three weeks since I did anything. And we often do the same thing when it comes to our faith. We're really excited. We've decided I'm on this journey to get fit, to do, to do more and we, we make that decision when we come to faith in Christ and we, wow, this is awesome. God has done this to, for me in Christ. And then we start training. And before you know it, we don't really remember the last time we really challenged ourselves because we're just kind of in the same pattern week after week, day after day, time after time. And if I look at my life four years ago, it's not really any more like Jesus than it was then. And understanding the challenge in this is to follow through with your training. And when I say that God's mission doesn't stop with Jesus, what I mean is God's desire is that you would be like His Son. And the only way we get there is by faithfulness and steadfastness and gritting through times of pain and hurt and saying, I know based on what Jesus has done for me, I've got to come back to this. 
Romans 6 verse 1 says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the response is very emphatic, By no means. If you look down a little further in verse 14 of Titus 2, it says, Who gave Himself for us, speaking of Jesus, to redeem us from all lawlessness. Jesus gave Himself to redeem us from lawlessness, not so that we could be lawless. It's a big difference. But a practical question in the midst of this, and we're starting to see the bridge here when we talk about that if we desire to become more like Jesus, we cannot separate salvation and sanctification. Sanctification is a big word. All it means is that you're becoming more like Jesus. The process of sanctification is moving you from where you are to where God wants you to be. That's sanctification. And if we just say salvation and we drop it there, then we've said, I'm going to train and I'm ready to make a change in my life, but we never actually pick up the weight and start doing the work. Okay? But what would it look like, what does it look like to live according to uh, Titus 2 in verse 12, a self-controlled, upright, and godly life? That's the question we should answer. And here, based on across Scripture, is what it looks like, and summarized in our statement of faith. This is what it looks like. First off, love God supremely and others sacrificially. Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40, is known as the passage where Jesus answers the question, what is the greatest commandment? And he says to this man who asks him this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is like it. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments stand all the laws and prophets. Okay? So, what does it look like to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives? Start there. Love God supremely and others sacrificially. The other thing we can do If we're going to live like this, care for one another. In fact, in John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus makes the bold assertion that it is by this that people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, I wish that I could testify that that is what the church is known for, but it is quite the opposite. And I've encountered many, many, many people who have walked away from anything to do with faith because the people involved were more known for fighting and bickering with each other about things that don't matter, that are not of eternal value, and they made a mess of what should be a celebration of the gospel. May that not be us. My goodness, We get really worked up about things that don't matter and don't get worked up about the things that do. That's got to change. That's got to change. If we believe that we serve a sovereign God, He's in control of everything that's going on around us, we're responsible for how we respond to that. We're responsible for how we're doing in our training. 
We're responsible for how we're doing becoming more like Jesus. It's not someone else's job to do the things that you know according to Scripture you're supposed to do. It's not my job. It's not the job of the elders. It's not the job even of Sunday morning. It's our job individually to read the Bible, to study it and go, I know this is where I am, but I know this is where I'm supposed to be. And so I, I recognize, maybe I recognize I need people to come alongside of me. Maybe I recognize that I, I need some, some resources. I need some help knowing how to do this. Great. Guess what? That's what we're here for. But myself or our leaders or anyone else in here cannot move you to where you're supposed to be. You are responsible for that. Because God is the one who's seeking to do a work in you. And it's only by your response to His Spirit's prompting that movement is going to happen. Care for one another. The next thing... Show compassion to the poor and justice to the oppressed. That should be at the foundation of just our response. When we meet people who are oppressed, we should break and hurt. When we see injustice, we should desire that justice be done. And we see Jesus talk about that multiple times throughout Scripture. If you want to jot down the reference Micah 6.8, And read that this week and challenge yourself in that way. Do that. And the last thing I would say, according to Scripture, what does it look like to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives is to fulfill the Great Commission in Matthew 28 where it says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the simplicity of that is always bearing witness to the gospel in word and in deed. See, church, if we are really desiring to become more like Jesus, then our life just begins when we make a decision to follow Christ. And we recognize in the midst of that, my goodness, I'm still the person I was before, only now I have this hope that I didn't have. And I know this person named Jesus died for me. So I have the promise of eternity, but He didn't just die. He rose so I could know there's a promise of life. And you know what the cool thing is? We don't have to wait until eternity to start living for Jesus. Every day that you and I have is an opportunity for us to be like Christ. And it's okay if you're early on in your training. Keep going. But don't stop. Don't stop understanding the depth of what God longs for and desires for you. So how do we apply this practically? I'm going to give you two points of application from our text. First one, don't be stagnant in your waiting. Don't be stagnant in your waiting. If you look at verse 13, it identifies 
coming off of verse 12, that we're to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming again. We believe that. Amen? Amen. But we don't jump from verse 11 to verse 13. There's a lot in between there. And this call and this application is for us to literally live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And to renounce or to say no to worldly passions and ungodliness. The application is in the text. Isn't it great when that happens? I love it. But the second thing, and we see this at the end of our text, the second application is to be zealous because of what God has done for you. To be zealous for what God has done, because of what God has done for you. Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for him, for himself, a people for his own possession who are zealous or eager for good works. Understand this, church. What you do does not save you. It's really important for you to hear that. When I say that you cannot separate salvation and sanctification, I am not saying that you are saved by what you do. Rather, what you do and who you are should stem directly from what Jesus has already done for you. It's got to come from there. And my motivation and my passion and my zeal, my eagerness should come from an accurate picture of everything that Jesus has accomplished on my behalf so I can run towards Him. And as our statement of faith says, with God's Word, the Spirit's power and fervent prayer in Christ's name, we are to combat the spiritual forces of evil. Church, we've got a big challenge in front of us. Training in righteousness is hard. It's painful. But my goodness, is it rewarding. And I want to challenge you in this passage in Titus to consider what it looks like in your life to live according to God's Word. Where are you at? Where, where, maybe, maybe you need to ask the question, where did I stop training? Have I even started? And if I can identify where I stopped, where do I need to start again? And you know what? Our church is blessed with a lot of people who are really good spiritual trainers. And they're eager to resource you and walk alongside you and help you to get back on track with your training and to live a life that moves you towards becoming more like Jesus. That's my prayer for us. It's my 
aim and my goal myself. I've got a long way to go. Every one of us does. But may we recognize, in light of what Christ has done for us, everything He's called us to, and may we do it together with zeal and with endurance. Amen? Okay, let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, this is a challenging thing to consider when we stop and recognize our own humanity, our own sinfulness, and yet your grace has appeared bringing salvation to all people. So, Lord, may we rest in that hope, but may we not rest when it comes to moving from where we are to where you desire us to be. May we be motivated by all that you've done to pursue this with a passion and a vigor and a zeal that other people see this transformation, they see this movement, and they start wondering what is it that's bringing this to be, that's motivating this. But Lord, I pray as well that we would be transparent. Lord, that we would recognize our own struggles and tensions and not be weary in identifying and stating those to clarifying that with the people around us, our brothers and sisters who can walk with us. But Lord, that you would bring about in this place, in this community, a culture of openness, a culture of care. Lord, that we would love as You have loved. Forgive us for the ways that we have failed to live in light of Your truth. And Lord, we trust that by Your Spirit's power and by Your unending mercy that's new every morning, that You will continue to push us and train us to be like your son. We pray this in his name.